discovering who we are in a, in a digital world. Um, it's a simple question, but it's a complex equation. For me, it comes down to a few things that we've been going over and over in the last sort of three weeks. Is It's a combination of where we've come from, of who we've interacted with as we've grown up, maybe family of origin, who we're interacting with now, and what we've done in the past, what's been done to us, or what we're doing right now. All of those things seem to contribute to this answering of the question, who am I? It's one of the most important questions that we need to answer in our life in order to be, I think, successful and move through it in in a healthy, confident way. We've been unpacking two ideas along the way. The first one is this. God thinks that we're of infinite worth, but in need of great repair. I mean, you heard that just from what Jason was talking about a moment ago. He said, you know what? There's the competitive juices that are stirred on Strava. It happens. You know, if you've ever experienced envy or greed or anger or just plain jealousy, then you realize that you're of worth to God, but you're in need of great repair. The second thing we've been asking people to unpack is the idea is we discover who we are. We answer that question, who am I, through other people's eyes. As we grow up, we're rather insecure human beings and we look outward in order to answer that question. What do you think of me? What do you think of me? What do you think of me? Look at me, look at me, look at me. And it's often how other people perceive us or how we perceive them looking at us that answers that question. Who am I? So it's, if it's been a good week, we might go, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a value. And if it's been a bad week, it's just kind of the opposite along the way. And so we can live our lives moving from one high to the next low, if you like, and unpacking it. And so this is why we showed that, that wonderful clip at the very beginning of Toy Story and Woody. The, the, the reality is, is that when someone comes to place their trust in Jesus... He says he welcomes us into his family and he marks us by name. He, puts, he writes his name on our lives and says, you are mine. And if you're here this morning and you're just checking out God, you're wondering if Jesus is real and what to make of it all. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I haven't decided to follow Jesus yet because, well, I want to figure God out and I want to clean myself up first. And once I've figured him out and once I've cleaned myself up, then I'll come to know Jesus. It's actually the opposite. He goes, no, 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 no. If, if you want to go down that line, you'll be, you'll be working a long time to try and figure God out. And uh, cleaning yourself up, that's God's work. In fact, he would say, come to me first and then allow me to do those things in your life. In fact, I'm glad you're here this morning because you get to see some of the most and hear about the foundational core things of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how God sees you and perceives you to be. So um, three weeks ago, we had a, a look at Pinterest and the idea of Pinterest, this is a good application, but you can often find yourself comparing yourselves to other people's perfection. And so my summary here of what we learned in that week was that you are of infinite worth, more worth in God's eyes than you ever care to know, loved, chosen and adopted before the beginning of time through Jesus. Then we looked at Facebook, the idea of my worth and my value can be determined by how many likes and how many friends are part of my network. Mightn't actually have a conversation with them physically, but I can assess my worth and value according to my wider network. And the summary from that week was you are forgiven, washed clean, delivered from the power of sin and death that has infected God's world. The truth is about Facebook, it can bring out the best of us and the worst. 
that some of the things that people say on Facebook, some of the things that people write and criticize and bully, and it says something about human beings. We need to be forgiven. So celebrate wildly, because if God doesn't condemn you, then who else possibly can? Then last week we looked at the art of the selfie, that I can determine my worth and value based upon who I get photographed next to. The object that I stand next to, the cutest of that can rub off on me and I can actually fall into the trap of thinking, you know what? (laughs) Gee, I'm really important. I'm valuable. Look who I've got next to me. And so he said, you have been sought by God more than you will ever know and secured for an eternal inheritance that will blow your mind. His very presence, the spirit secures you as his own possession so that others will marvel when they see him at work in you. The truth of the reality of the good news of Jesus is that when you reach out to him and say, come into my life, you're my king, you're my master, you're my CEO, you're my boss. He gives you his spirit. And he writes his name on your heart and he calls you his own. And then we get to the world of Strava. You see, Strava, if the downside to it, might go something like this. I, in order to stay in, I've got to keep up. I've got to keep up with everyone else in order to keep in. If I want to be at the top, I've got to make sure that I keep up with everyone else and push it just a little bit harder. Well, the person we've been looking at in his writing, in the first chapter of a letter that he wrote to a group of followers, um, by the name of Paul, he wrote a letter to a group of Jesus followers who lived in and around a place called Ephesus. And he says these things as we pick it up from last week. He says, because of all of this, all the other things that we've just acknowledged that God says he lavishes upon people who follow him, He writes this, And because I heard that you are loyal and faithful to Jesus the Master, and that you show love to all God's holy people, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. If you like, Paul had heard that when these folk had said, Jesus, you are who you say you are, come into my life, there had been radical change. They had discovered that there was change in their life such that they showed care and love to People around about them. Profoundly. Not just those who they could rub shoulders with and say, I get some social kudos from being next to them. But the people who they didn't identify with. Whether you are rich or poor, slave or free, says that the power of God at work in them had had caused them to, to demonstrate a love for all of God's people. Not just the ones that they could rub shoulders with to feel good about themselves. And so he says, I never stop thanking God for you because he's at work in your lives. You see, these folk decided to call one another brothers and sisters. They decided that they wouldn't go down the Strava competitive way, that they would dare to say, I'm not going to use you as a stepping stone in order for me to feel good about me. And that spread so widely and broadly that it infected in a good way. Half of the Roman Empire was radically transformed in just a few hundred years, because of the power of those things that God had said and done in their lives was real and true for them. So if I could summarize the Strava thing and summarize the idea behind this, would simply say this, you have been lavished with a favor that's difficult to fathom, and Jesus is alive in you. The care and the love you have for each other is simple evidence of this. You see, when God's at work in people's lives, there's change. See, I think Paul understood from the place in which he wrote this letter, 
was in a jailhouse, in a cell, surrounded by guards that had been enforced by Caesar, and he dared to say, there's another king, and he will bring you alive. He'll bring you alive to yourself, and he'll bring you alive to your world, and his name is Jesus. When you place your trust in him, things will change. I think Paul understood that there was a difference between knowledge and knowing. You see, it's possible for you and I to have knowledge about someone, but not truly know them. Take your workplace or your school place, for instance. How many of the people that you rub shoulders with in your school or in your workplace or in your community, your next door neighbours, you say, yeah, I know them, but you don't really? I know certain skills that they have. I know what they do on a Saturday afternoon. I know the hobbies that they like. But as far as what's going on in their life, their dreams and aspirations, their challenges and frustrations, I kind of don't know that stuff. You see, there's a difference between knowledge and knowing. And I think when we get to the pointy end of what Paul's wrapping up in this first chapter, he's wanting change to be real. He's wanting to move things from a knowledge base to an experiential base. How does that happen? You see, when I was at school, I used to carry around a little mantra of mine. I always wasn't on the inside with all of the different kids. So I remember carrying a little mantra that in my head that went something like this. I don't care if they don't like me, but I will make them respect me. Ooh. I remember uh, I was kind of okay at sport. And so what I discovered along the way is that if I really worked hard at that, it was a way of actually getting in and actually affirming a sense of value. But what little mantra that I had in my head, because I wasn't always on the inside of the crowd, was that I don't care if they don't like me, I will make them respect me. Wow. That was a lie. (laughs) The truth was, just like you, we all want people to like us, don't we? We all want to be part of the crowd. We want to be part of the group. We want to be accepted and valued for who we are. Isn't that true? But I thought, oh, I'll just make them respect me if I win, if I beat them, if I'm competitive, all of these different things. See, the truth of the reality is that's not how the way life works. That's not the plan God has for us. Do you remember one of the machines? I remember going to an amusement parlor when I was younger and they had this thing called the gopher bopper or something like that. Yeah, anyone remember that? You got a big hammer and, and it was like a, a frame in front of you and they had all these holes and a gopher would pop up and you had to hit it on the head and then it'd pop up over there and then you hit it and if you missed it, you had to accumulate as many points. Yeah, And so you'd moving, you'd watch some people and I'd be here missing it all the time, chasing, 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 chasing. That's a picture of us sometimes. We can so chase everyone else and trying to keep up in order to keep in that I'm chasing that person for their approval, that person for what they say, that thing, that thing. And we move from one crisis to the next. Always looking out for where there's the next affirmation coming our way. Is this making any sense to anyone? Okay, let's drill it down a bit. So someone leaves you out of their thank you, their public thank you, right? (laughs) And you go, ooh. Maybe someone passes you over, you're overlooked for a position at work or in a sporting team and that cuts deep. Or maybe someone says some uncomplimentary words about you and you find yourself rattled. Your whole world collapses because someone doesn't say complimentary things about you. Or or, or maybe you tried really hard on a test and it didn't work out the way you wanted to and so your world caves in, yeah? Yeah. Moving from one crisis to the next, 
about how people view me and how I did my performance in order to make me feel good about myself. Paul's writing all of these things so that you can stop being the gopher. So you can transition things from knowledge to knowing. And this is where he starts. You want to know how to transition things from just being head knowledge to knowing? This is what he says. I pray. That's it. I pray. I pray that the God of King Jesus, our Lord, the Father of glory, will give you in your spirit the gift of being wise, of seeing things people can't normally see because you are coming to know him and have the eyes of your innermost self opened. I pray. You see, Paul writes those simple, that simple phrase, I pray, because he knows it doesn't come naturally to you and I. We have our eyes fixed fairly squarely on earthly things and can often forget heavenly things so easily. So he says, because it's hard and because it's difficult, it's almost humanly impossible. What I want you to do is I want you to discover that there's something you need to do, in fact, that only God can do, but you can start it by saying, I pray. I pray that God will open up you, give you a gift of wisdom so that you'll be able to see things that people normally can't see and that you have the eyes of your innermost self opened. I pray. Paul doesn't just sit back and just passively hope God will do something. He prays. Prays for other people, prays for himself that this might be a reality. And it is for him. There's certain parts of the Bible where he says, I can do all things through God who strengthens me. Now, he's, I don't think for a minute he's thinking, I can fly if, if I just ask God. But rather, I can actually do everything that God's called me to do and do it comfortably in my skin, even when there's stresses and difficulties, because I've discovered that I see things differently and it changes. It changes the way I view life. He says in another place, he says, I've been despairing and losing of my life to the point that I thought I was actually going to die. But see, even in that case, he, he writes in another place, I have learnt the secret of being content, whether I've had plenty or I've had little. You see, Paul wrestles with these things, and that's why he writes, it's hard, but that's why I pray. And this is what he goes on and says he prays about. He says, once... You pray and, and you actually ask God to do something that's so difficult for us to do. Then you will know exactly what the hope is that goes with God's call. You will know the wealth of the glory of his inheritance in his holy people. And you will know the outstanding greatness of his power towards us who are loyal to him in faith, according to the working of his strength and power. Let's back up to the top. You will know exactly what is the hope that God has a destiny for you, that this life is not just the end, that there is a continuation with God in a new heavens and a new earth, and that gives hope that nothing else can, that you will know that deeply. And then he goes on and says that you will know the wealth of the glory of his inheritance in his holy people. Sure, we inherit an eternity with God, but he's saying here that you will know that God chooses you as his portion that he inherits you because he values you so much. And that he goes on to say, and that you will know the outstanding greatness of his power. The same power that rose, raised Jesus to life is at work in you. 
to make changes. And so you look at me this morning and you hear these words and you go, oh great, that's not my experience. The same power that raised Jesus to life at work in me to make changes so I will know these things, Troy, really? I'm just the same as who I was before I came to even hear about Jesus. I'm actually just in the same place, up and down the gopher person all the time. How can you tell me that change can happen and that change is real and that it could be true for me? Paul says, I pray. I pray that God will do a work in you. I pray. You see, my former life, I used to be a phys ed teacher. Phys ed teacher. There's one thing that we learnt along the way when it came to young people and catching. It was simply this. Is that most young people, when they're learning to catch such a simple skill, is that between seeing the ball up in the heavenlies and actually holding it in their hands, something would happen along the way. They'd be watching the ball and then they would stop tracking with it. They'd lose sight of it. They'd be watching it, but somewhere between there and their hands, you'd show them how to cup their hands, you'd show them how to position their body, but between somewhere up there and just being in my hands, the ball would often fall short or hit their hands and fall out because of a simple issue. Tracking. They would take their eyes off the ball from when it was about here to when it should have been here. They'd be distracted by other things, all different kinds of things. They'd think about their lunch tomorrow. They'd think about the tree over there, whether the wind's blowing, the sun's over there, someone's saying something. They would lose the ability to track. So we would do something very simple. And this is the same skill that runs through all life when it comes to catching. Adults as well, same deal. What we would do is we'd get two tennis balls and we'd trick them. We'd do an experiment. We'd take one tennis ball and we'd put two circles on that one tennis ball. And then we'd take another tennis ball and we'd put two crosses on the other one. And we'd hold the tennis balls behind our back. And let's say they were standing just a few meters away. I'd say, okay, in a moment, I'm going to throw up one of the tennis balls. And before the tennis ball lands in your hand, what I want you to do is call out as loud as you can, whether you see a naught or a cross. We'd throw the tennis balls up. That same child that had caught only five out of ten tennis balls, catches cleanly, would often go to nine out of ten, just like that. Because they were training their eyes to keep focused on and track the ball from the heavenlies into their earthly hands. And it was a simple matter of fixing their attention and their focus and, and all of their will and their energy upon a naught or a cross. Just like that. You see, I think it's the same deal for us when it comes to understanding God and what he says about us. Is that There's a point in our lives where, if you like, the balls are up in the air and we get distracted by everything else around about. And Paul wants us in those times to keep our eyes fixed in such a way that how God sees us in the heavenlies will have impact for us here Upon the earth, that will shape us. And to do that, to push out all of distractions, what we need to do is fix our eyes. And the first way to do that is starting to pray. God, would you please help me discover? 
You see, I don't think he wanted us to be a go for running around just from one crisis to the next. I think he wanted people, people anywhere, everywhere, to make a transition from knowledge to knowing. And, and what he, he, to do that, he, he said, I want you to keep focused upon these things. I want you to dwell upon them. I want you to make them your own. So when you walk in the office on that particular day and you say, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm not getting anything back. I'm, I'm doing my best, but people have said I've been overlooked. I've been not thanked for this. So that your world would not come crashing down. That in that very moment, you would be able to say, stop. Stop. I know who I am. I know who I am. I don't need you in order for me to be me. I don't need you in order for me to feel good about myself. That, that where I am does not determine who I am. And who I am does not determine where I am with God. That, that once I've come to know Jesus, I've been chosen. I've been secured. I've, I've been forgiven. I've been washed clean. I have been secured with him for an eternity. I know who I am. And that makes all of the difference in our lives. So I love what Jason said. I dwell regularly. If you're here this morning and you are the person who moves from one crisis to the next and that is you, how about taking out this chapter, this simple chapter, and dwelling on it for the next two weeks? Write them out, simple truths to say, I can dwell on that. God, is that how you see me? And then you start praying personally, God, would you help me to understand these things? And even more than that, that we would be part of a community that says, wait a second, I need to remind the person next to me who's just got the shoulders slumped, the head down. Wait a second, have you forgotten who you are? This is how God sees you. We're going to sing a song in a moment. We're going to sing a song and I invite you to engage with us that has truths and powerful statements and realities that are part of the lyric that causes people to think in a different way. I wonder if you're here this morning and you realize that I'm like the gopher. And when those thoughts, those lies, those negative things come into my head, I just need to stop take hold of it and I need to dwell upon a truth that you are chosen you have been forgiven you've been washed clean there is a God who knows you and chose you before the foundation of the world when you said I trust Jesus he said I was choosing you beforehand And as far as I'm concerned, you're seated with me right now in the heavenlies. One day I'll come and I'll reclaim you as my own inheritance, my possession, and recreate a new heavens and a new earth. Do you know who you are? Because it can make all the difference. This is hard. This is not easy. This is not like it just happens like that. This is effort. It begins with prayer, regular, asking, dwelling, and then having some mates wrap around you, say, no, 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 mate, that's not it. That's not who you are. You've forgotten. Let me tell you who you are. 
you're a brother, you're a sister. This is who you are. This is who you are. As Chris plays right now, I'm just going to pause for a moment and invite us to pray. And if you're the gopher, I want to pray for you. If you're the one who's checking out God and I've got to clean myself up first, I want to pray for you. So he says, come to me first and I will do that. If you're the one here just needs to sink deeper from here to here, you've known God just in your head but not knowing him in your heart, I want to pray for you. That you will experience his power to change your thinking. Not to necessarily change your circumstances, but to change your thinking. If you'd like to join with me, I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, if that's who you truly are, would you help us to see that? Would you help each person here in this room to experience and to know you, not just through knowledge, but through knowing you experientially by your Spirit? And God, for all the gophers who are here in the room this morning, I ask that you might do a work in them that you might grant to them wisdom and spiritual insight that they might walk and work and live differently as a result of these truths. Would you make it and bring it alive in them now? God, for those who are checking you out at a distance, wondering, got to figure you out, got to work you all out, got to clean myself up. Would you allow them to see right now that you've come running to them with open arms? That's why Jesus died and rose. I ask, Father, that you would speak to them now and that they might relinquish themselves to your love. God, for those who are here this morning and following you has just been head, without the heart. God, Father, would you give us a revelation of your truth? Would you transition us by your spirit from just knowing the knowledge to knowing in our heart that this week, chests out, heads up, that we might be able to walk in the confidence that's heavenly and not earthly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.